they took a poll on some college campuses and asked uh, some college students what what uh, Veterans Day was all about, and most of them really didn't have a clue how sad that is. But when I see things like the youth that had gone to the convention and uh, the conference, the youth conference, and the youth of our city here coming for prayer and different things, um, I'm reminded that, you know, God, God is good. And uh, he's got his hand on the next generation. And just like, you know, our parents weren't really happy with uh, all the stuff we were into as kids either, you know. And we might look at this generation, we go, oh, what's the matter with them? Like, trust me, our parents did the same thing with us. <laughs> and yet God is able. God's able to bridge that gap. And it seems like the, the worst things get, uh, that's when God arises and then the enemies are scattered. And then God just steps in and does some things. That's so cool how he works. So praise God. I want to share a message with you this morning as we continue on with uh, end time events in chapter 24 of Matthew and then chapter 25. And uh, we've moved past the, the events of the end times into more of a what Jesus is saying to us uh, as, as disciples. So I've entitled this, Give Me Oil in My Lamp. And of course, those of you that were around in the 60s, 64 was when the song was written, Give Me Oil in My Lamp. Keep me burning, 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 keep me burning till the break of day. And that was a pretty cool song. And then, of course, the California got involved in it, the, and the surfers out there, and they said, give me wax on my board. Keep me surfing for the Lord, yeah, surfing till the break of day. And, and then the uh, people that drove Ford pickups got involved in it, and give me oil, gas in my Ford, keep me trucking, you know. So uh, there was all those, and they just kept making things up as we sat around a campfire and and uh, <laughs> we were crazy in those days, weren't we? But it's a, it's a really cool song, and it comes from uh, Matthew 25. We're going to unpack that a little bit today and look at it. And Matthew 24 begins with the disciples' questions about the future events that's going to mark Christ's second coming. Now, he gives them some ideas of what's going to take place, but he never gives them the exact time. So he keeps that as a mystery. In fact, he kind of jumps around in 24 about some events and not sure when all those things are going to take place. Some of them already have and some of them are to come. But after reminding them that heaven and earth, as we know it now, will pass away, he says, but my word will not pass away. And then Jesus brings it to, down to where we live. In other words, don't get so caught up in all the events of the end and studying all the events and reading all the books about the events and what's going to take place. I mean, there's a lot of books out there. You can, you can, you can drive yourself crazy because they're going to change from time to time because some of the things that are predicted kind of go, come and go, and then they got to write another book about, well, let's see, we were wrong there, but we're going to do this. And so you can get caught up in that. And it's okay. If, I mean, if that's what you like to study and read about, that's fine. But uh, the, I guess for me, the main issue with me and, and Christianity is not so much what we know, but what we're able to live. What we need today is a, is a Christian example of living a Christ-like life rather than just knowing about what that is. So there's a lot of people that know scriptures. We know about stuff, um, but knowledge has a tendency to build us up, puff us up, and sometimes even uh, divide us because we get into arguments over little non-essentials rather than focusing in on 
on the real issue of how Christ, what has he done in my life? How has he transformed me? And how is he using me to transform the lives of other people? That's what the gospel is really all about. Uh, so Jesus is reminding them that his word's not going to pass away. And then he commands them this, stay alert and keep watch. And then he says, for my coming, coming again will be like. Now, it doesn't say it's going to be this. It just says it's going to be like this. And he tells parables. That's what parables are. Parables are uh, like. You know, we, we say like all the time. We say, well, like, 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 I'm, like I feel like, like. You know, it's just a word that we use all the time, like. Right? Like, yeah. Like, I mean, okay. I just want to say, no, what do you mean, not like? But anyway, Jesus does the same thing. He's, he's saying it like. Okay, it's, it's going to be like this. The kingdom's coming, and it's like. So he says it's going to be like a thief in the night. We looked at that a little bit last week. If you knew a thief was going to come one night, you knew he was coming, you would have stayed awake, right? Uh, you would have stayed awake and not knowing when he's coming for sure, but you know he's coming. And so that's what he's saying to you. Keep, uh, keep watch. Stay awake because I'm going to come like a thief in the night. He's not a thief in the night. Jesus is not a thief. He's just saying, like. I'm going to come like that, like a thief in the night. So keep watch. And then he goes on, tells another parable about a faithful servant and an unfaithful servant. The faithful servant stayed busy with the work assigned to him by the master, uh, even though the master delayed. The unfaithful servant just said, eh, we've been down this road before. Where's the sign of his coming? We know it's just a, I don't know, it's just a probably a, a, a bunch of hooey. That's a, that's a term of, you know what that means, do you? Okay. That means uh, we just, I don't know if that's believable anymore because we've heard about that and we, we, uh, we just don't, I just don't get that anymore. You know, we've talked about it. I grew up with it. He's coming back and people come and go and generations come and go and people die and, and, and where is that at? So he, the unfaithful servant just says, ah, I don't know if I believe that anymore. So he gets sloppy. He just kind of shuts down. He quits. Maybe he gets a little bit irritated uh, about something that God did or didn't do in his mind. And so he just shuts down, stops. So, and then in chapter 25, Jesus goes on with this same theme of reminding his disciples, that's what we are, to be alert and to be involved in the king's business until he returns. And he gives us four more parables. The next parable or word picture is about ten virgins who represent the difference between those who have their mind fixed on the rewards and the returns and readiness for Christ and for those who could just care less. The wise were ready, but the foolish were not. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would open our eyes to, to, uh, to, to find the truth of your, of your word. And the Lord, that, uh, that we might see the wonders of your word. That God, that your Holy Spirit would bring it to life in us today. In Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, so let's take a look at the wise and the foolish virgins. In Matthew 25, 1 through 13, it says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil in flasks along with their lamps. 
Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil. For our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. While they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast. And the door was shut. Later the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then. For you do not know the day nor the hour. You can unpack this and go so many different ways, just like most, most all of scriptures. Parables have one point. Remember that when you read the parables, because you can get so carried away, well, this means this, and this means that, and, and, uh, and, and it's great preaching stuff. But what I want to focus is on the main point. I like the main point the best. I want to get right to the main point. The main point of this parable is to keep oil in your lamp. In other words, pay attention to your check oil light. You know, that's that little thing called an idiot light. And people go, when that comes on, I've, I've known people who go, what's the light? as smoke begins to roll <laughs> at the back. <laughs> you know, that's why they're called idiot lights. We used, to have ga- we used to have gauges, now we've got idiot lights. So anyway, that little light comes on, uh, that's when you need to check your oil light. And, and maybe some today are at a place where you need to check your oil light. To Jesus, a lit lamp is to be really a most important element in the identification of his disciples. And it's also valuable to be a witness of God's grace, love, and mercy to others. So Jesus said to them and to us in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Remember the song we sing as kids? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Well, don't let your, your light go out. But your light can go out for a number of reasons if you don't maintain the light. So the light is, uh, is, is we take light for granted. We come in and we hit a switch and we go home. We hit a light switch, the lights come on. We just, you know, it's kind of something we take for granted today. But in those days, it wasn't too long ago either, uh, there was work to do in order to keep your lamp burning. A bright lamp or a lamp that's going to shine continually needs some regular maintenance. And disciples of Christ have to maintain the lamp if they're going to be the light of the world, a city on a hill. So the first thing I want to share with you is from this text is Be sure to trim your wick. The skilled part of lamp trimming was the ability to trim a wick in such a way that it would burn evenly without hot spots and so that it would not need attention. 
again for some time. A poorly trimmed wick creates a flame which is either dim or smoky or both. An unclear witness is a poor witness. And when I penned that here this week, I was thinking about a time where I was a pretty unclear, smoky witness, trying to witness. I had a friend I was in construction work at the time. I was a construction foreman at the time, and one of the guys, I was, I was just witnessing to everybody I could. I got saved during that time, and I was just so on fire for God. But, my, but I was putting out a lot of smoke, too. <laughs> you know how you are. When you first get saved, you have more zeal than you do anything else, you know? And my, my wick definitely need to be trimmed. And so God had set up a a couple of people in my life to help me trim the wick or remind me that I needed to have that done. And I was sharing with one of the guys in my construction crew, sharing Jesus with him. We were laying brick at the time, and I was sharing Jesus. And, and so, and, and, but at the course of that, we sat down, and, I, and we started telling jokes, and some of the other guys in the crew were telling jokes. And we're construction workers, so they weren't really nice, clean. They were what we call off-color jokes. That's what we say when, because we don't really want to go with how bad they really were. They're just off-color. So I told a very off-color joke, and uh, it was borderline on dirty, and um, he had gone home and shared that with his wife. Now, the next week, I said, hey, we got revival at our church. I'd like to invite you and your wife to come and, and hear the gospel. And uh, he said, well, I'll talk to my wife about it. So he went home, and I got a call from his wife. And she said, I'm confused. I said, what about? She said, you wanted Brian and I to come to church so we could hear the gospel, the good news of Christ. And he told me the dirty joke that you told him just recently, just a few days ago. I'm confused. Which way is it? If you're going to represent Christ, shouldn't you represent him a little better than than that stab me in the heart by the way they didn't, they didn't come to church fast forward about six months and I thought the best way to share the gospel with people especially construction workers right is we'd go to the bar every night and I'd set them up with beer I was the construction foreman made a little bit more money so I'd buy each one of them a beer we'd sit around the table and I'd tell them about Jesus I mean, that's got to work, right? See, I've, I've not always been smart. And so nobody was coming to Jesus. And, and so I went out in, in my truck. I remember I, I went out and I was just devastated. This has been months and it's cost me a lot of money for beer. <laughs> and I went out, to, uh, went out and sat in my truck and I began to just cry out to the Lord. And I said, God, you know, I'm trying the best that I can to share your love with people and share the gospel with them. And and nobody's coming to you. And, and the Lord, the Holy Spirit spoke to me in a very clear, not an audible voice, but very clearly in my mind. And when God speaks to you, he doesn't have to say a lot of words. You know exactly what he's talking about. And this is what he said. John, he knows my name. He said, John, your testimony stinks. And back then I was reading King James, so he probably said stinketh, but I don't know. <laughs> testimony bad, bad testimony. So you can have the word 
in you, but if, if it's dirty in here, then when it comes out, it's, it smells bad. It doesn't burn really clean. It's kind of smoky, and it's not quite clear which way is it. Because I guarantee you, the unsaved people that you try to witness to, they know there's something that God has written in their heart about what righteousness is. And they know when there's something that's not quite right with our testimony as God's people. Maybe that's why we don't invite as many people to church as we should. Or maybe that's why we're not quite the witnesses at home in our own family that we should be because they see us and they know us. And they're going, hmm, is that the way you're supposed to act as a Christian? Now, I'm not condemning anybody that drinks a beer. That's not what this is about. I'm just saying, for me... He spoke to me about it. All right, so he's trimming my wick. And God needs to use people in our life to trim our wick. If you're really fired up and interested about winning souls, you've got to have a clean wick. It's just that simple. So a clean wick is, uh, is, is so important. A poorly trimmed wick creates a flame which is dim and smoky. And it's a poor witness. The second thing is, is that if you're going to, doesn't it make sense if you're going to have a lamp? And we come in, sometimes I think we come into church and, and uh, we bring our lamp with us. It's shiny. Or maybe we come in and we want to get it shined up a little bit. You know, so we praise God, shining our lamp. And we come to prayer, shining our lamp. And we have a shiny, really, really wonderful, beautiful, shiny lamp. It's it's nice and clean. It's just the, the, the wick is all trimmed, but there isn't any oil in it. You know what I mean? It's like, really? You're going to have a, a lamp with no oil in it? Then it's not going to burn very bright, is it? It's not going to burn at all. And so that's the second thing in maintenance is keeping your lamp filled with oil. No oil, no light. What good is a lamp with no oil in it? Um, or a candle without a wick? No, it's like... Uh, it just doesn't make any sense. If you're going to keep your lamp filled, it needs to be constantly refilled. That's a really important thing for us as we grow older in Christ. We can't live on the filling of yesterday. That's where many older Christians go wrong and they get grouchy and cynical and critical and like, who wants to be around you? And it's because we don't keep oil in our lamp. We don't keep being refilled. We, uh, we think that we can just get by on what we had. We don't need to learn anything new. I don't need to do anything new. I don't have to get closer to God. I don't have to renew and replenish. I can get by all by myself. I know everything there is to know. I, read, I saw, uh, heard a friend of mine once I was witnessing to. He said, I read the Bible once and that's all I need. Okay. You know, people say, well, I, you know, I, I, I don't need to go to church. Yeah, you want to get some oil, don't you? You want to get refilled? Sure. Well, then come and praise and worship with God's people and hang out with God's people. Well, I'm reading through this thing with, the, with these five and five, the five virgins that were wise and the five that weren't. You know, they were hanging around with the, the five wise were hanging around with the five wise. And the five unwise were probably hanging out with the five unwise. I've seen that happen so many times through the years that somebody gets 
has oil in their lamp and they're hanging out with the wrong, the unwise people that just keep dumping oil and they burn up and then they're done and that's it. They don't keep being refilled. They're hanging out with the wrong crowd. So is everybody in church uh, nice? I wish it were so. They need oil. And sometimes uh, you know, us as pastors, we'd like to trim your wick. <laughs> but God has to do that. and He has a way of doing all those things that we can't. But still, you grow with the people that you, you, the people you hang out with, you either grow with and be refilled with or you lose out with. And it's just that simple. Well, here's a couple of passages. So what is this oil? I want to focus a little bit on that. If oil is so important to be in our lamp, lit so important, then, then what is this oil? Here's just a couple of passages for us to consider. In Exodus chapter 27, verses 20 and 21, he's talking about the, the tabernacle here. And uh, there's a holy of holies. That's where the ark was. And there was this curtain. And then there was a tent of, tent of meeting. And there was a, a number of different utensils and, and vessels and things like that that they were supposed to make. And then he says this in Exodus 27, 20, and 21. You shall charge the sons of Israel that they bring you clear oil of beaten olives for the light to make a lamp burn continually. How long is it supposed to burn? Continually. In the tent of meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony. And I really picked up on that passage right there, before the testimony. Before your testimony is valuable, there's got to be a lamp that's lit, and it's got to have pure, beaten oil in it. And when I think about the beaten part, what's, why can't it just be oil? Most of us that come to Christ come to Christ through a crisis. We feel beat down by something. Maybe you're here today because you've been beat up in a family situation. Maybe you've been beat down by some illness or some sickness or some addiction. Maybe just some, some wrong thinking and got yourself in trouble some way. Now, not everybody. There's a, there's a few people that I run across that have, they don't remember when they were saved. They were saved when they were about that high. And they've served Jesus ever since. I mean, God bless them. That's what I, that's what I, oh, I wish that were the case in all of us, but most of us come to Jesus the other way. Not heads. That God has to pick up and shove us through the fence, you know? Because we're always straying. We, like sheep, have gone astray, right? We just keep straying away from what we know to be right, and God just keeps grabbing us and bringing us back and trying to put us into that sheepfold, but we keep running away. A number of different reasons for that. But most of us come to a place where we just get sick and tired of being sick and tired. I like Christ's conversions. When we were in Sioux City, I used to go down and preach down at the, in 4th Street, and uh, crowds would come, and, and people, of course, they were coming for food, you know, looking for a handout. They were street people and uh, homeless people. And you, sh- you shared the gospel with them. I'll tell you what, though, man, they, they respond because they're at the end. I had one guy came up to the altar. I gave the altar call, and he came up, and big guy in the back, and I was watching him. I was going, Lord, I hope he's friendly. 
he comes up and he's, a, he's got a marine jacket on. It's all tattered and worn out because he's sleeping in the gutter and sleeping in the street and he's dirty and he's smelly and he comes, he comes up and just comes lumbering up from the back and I'm going, I, think I, I hope I didn't make him mad. He comes walking up and, and he just says, I'm a marine. He said, and I don't need anybody's help. And he starts to cry and he says, but I need Jesus tonight. I know that I need him. I've, I've got to, my life has got to change. That's what happens to us. That's that beaten part. We're, our testimony comes out of that part that's, that's not our nicest part, but the beaten part. The, things, the thing that people need to hear from us is not how wonderful it is now that I have Jesus, but a little bit of what it was like without him. Because that's when they can really identify with you. This is what it was like without him. Yeah, I'll talk more about what it's like with him now, but this is what it was like without him. I can identify with you. I've been beaten down. Christ will raise you up. But you can't tell them that he will raise you up if he hasn't raised you up yet either. If you don't have any finely beaten oil, your lamp is just... It's, it's, not, it's not lit. Sorry, there's no oil there. There's nothing there. The anointing oil, the oil that comes to the lamp, comes when you just can't do this by yourself. When you're so interested in souls that you have to win souls. God, have mercy on us for being the virgins that have fallen asleep to where the kingdom business of souls is no longer really on our mind. How we do church is on our mind. How we sing a song is on our mind. Is it for witnessing? Is it for winning souls? We would like to say yes. Are we winning souls? Just a question. Secondly, the oil is is often used to signify the Holy Spirit's anointing. And I like that. In 1 Samuel 16, 13, it says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David. By the way, they don't just touch him with oil. They poured oil out all over him, drip, just dripped all over him. And there's a flask of oil. And you poured it out until the flask was empty. He poured this oil as he anointed David. You remember the story. I hope you do. If you don't, you can read about it in Second Samuel, or in 1 Samuel. 16. And it says this, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Whoa. And not too long afterwards, guess what David did? He goes out when all the rest of the armies of God are just sitting there trembling. And this guy named Goliath would come out and he'd challenge all the armies. Say, who will fight me today? And all the armies would go, oh, he's a big guy. And David said, this young whippersnapper, just a youth, a little punk, Rudy, redheaded kid. Yeah, redheaded kid. Freckles. He comes out and says, who is this that's blaspheming the armies of the Most High God? And he said, well, that's Goliath, you little redheaded, freckled kid. That's who. And he says, well, I'll tell you what, before this day's over, he's going, to be, he's going to be a dead giant. I'm still going to be a redhead freckled kid, but I'm going to cut off his head. 
And guess what he did? In the power of the Lord, he takes a stone and he puts it in the sling. Smacks him in the head, knocks him down, goes over, takes his sword. Can you imagine this little kid? Huh? Takes his sword, it's probably, you know, it's huge. And he's. And just the weight of the sword cut Goliath's head off. I mean, he didn't have to have much strength to do that. The point is, is that your enemies are God's enemies. And you can stand up for the things of God because you have the anointing to do so. And you have power over the enemy because greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. And no weapon formed against you can prosper. No weapon formed against God's people can prosper. That's the anointing. That's the, that's the spirit of the Lord in our life. That's the transformation that takes place. That's why we do the things that we do. That's why we're interested in God's kingdom and we don't go, oh, I don't think I can do that. We can go, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Come on, church. Is this, it isn't rocket science. It's, it's just saying, God, I need your Holy Spirit. I've got to have you. I can't do this. Remember when God called me to the minister? I'm going, you've got to be kidding me. I wasn't a redhead, freckled kid, but I, I still had... Uh, my wick wasn't trimmed, and um, I didn't have a whole lot of oil, didn't know much, but I sure had a heart for God. And you know what? That's enough, because then he'll, he'll supply the oil. He'll put the oil in your life. He'll bring the anointing into your life, and the anointing is what breaks the yoke of slavery. It's the anointing that we need today to break the yoke. You want to break the yoke in your family, this, this thing that's, that's got you locked up in your family that you can't seem to get past? You're, you keep climbing, but you hit, this, you hit this wall, you hit this barrier. You want to get through that? Ask God's anointing to break it. God's anointing can break through all those things. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke, that breaks the thing that's hanging on your shoulders, the things that you try to get rid of and you, you just can't seem to get over it. It's the anointing that breaks that. It's the Holy Spirit filling you with oil that breaks that off of you. David was anointed with God's power to serve God, and he did. Didn't, you know, he made some mistakes, but he served God, and he was anointed. The Spirit of the Lord is needed if you and I are going to serve God. Jesus tells the same thing to New Testament believers. He says in Acts 1-8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses. You'll be my lantern. You'll be my light into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the world like Milbank. friend of mine said, how do I get the mill back? I said, just drive over this way until you're lost, and that's it. <laughs> I'm kidding. We love the mill bank. <laughs> the Holy Spirit makes us righteous. He gives us peace and joy with, with being in Christ's kingdom. In Romans 14, 17, Paul writes this, for the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Wow. Oil is given when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You can't get oil. You can't go buy it. And you can't get it from somebody else. It's like the, these five unwise virgins wanted to wait until the end. Just said, eh, well, when the end comes, I'll just go and borrow some from somebody. No, you can't. You can't borrow grace. You have to have it yourself. 
You can't borrow somebody, the Holy Spirit that somebody else has. You have to get that yourself. You can't just run out at the last minute and say, oh, God's coming, Jesus is coming back, so I better, I better run out and get some. No, can't do that. You have to have it when he gets here. Oil is given when we seek his righteousness. God supplies the oil of joy to those who seek his righteousness. Psalm 45, 7, you have, been, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. See, that's what I like about Calvary Church. That's why I like about being Pentecostal, about being charismatic, is the joy of the Lord is our strength. I don't want to go to a church where I just got to sit there and be quiet. I've been there and done that. I get tired of my grandmother slapping me for being noisy. I want to get up and move. I want to shout to God with a voice of triumph. I want to lift up my hands. I want to be able to dance. I can't move. I don't have the moves anymore, okay? <laughs> Quite in the groove like I used to be. But I can, you know, can move a little bit. I don't want any restrictions on my worship and praise of my God. And when I want to leave, I want to be filled with the joy of the Lord because the joy of the Lord is my strength. Rejoice. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You can't rejoice in the Lord always if you don't have any oil inside. I made that verse up. <laughs> I know it doesn't rhyme, but it's true. The joy of the Lord comes from the anointing that God gives us, the, 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 the desire to say, God, you know what? I'm not righteous, but I am righteous through Christ, and I want to be even more so. I want your righteousness to work in me so I can witness better for you. And God's going, okay, while you're at it, I'm going to give you joy in that. There's nothing worse than a grouchy, crabby Christian trying to witness to somebody. We had a lady in a church that we pastored years ago, and we had a young lady that came in, and, and uh, she was just fresh off the street. <laughs> and uh, her skirt was maybe a little shorter than it should have been. And she came up and knelt at the altar. And uh, could have Usher stand in front of her. It was that short. Later, one of the really people that have been in the church for a really long time, and, uh, and that's great, but she was really kind of a judgmental, cynical, Bertha better than you kind of person. And um, she nailed that young lady, just giving her heart to Christ, and before she got out the door, she nailed her, backed her up against the wall, I said, you're not welcome in here if you're going to dress like that. That's all I could do to keep from trimming her wick. <laughs> See, sometimes God's doing things inside of people, and we go, well, if the pastor would have known what kind of woman that was, he wouldn't have allowed that. When you have joy, you rejoice in everything. You rejoice in what God is doing in our young people. You rejoice in, in 
in the fact that they're even here. We rejoice in the fact that somebody, somebody get, is getting saved. Somebody's getting the message. Somebody's wanting to move on with Jesus. Somebody's wanting to get it right. Somebody's, somebody wants to transform life. And so you get excited about that. Now, isn't it the time to say, well, I don't know. I don't know if God can save somebody like that. Get my scissors out and trim your wick. It's the oil of the gladness that makes the light of God's peace burn continually. And there's one more thing about keeping your lamp filled, and here's what it is. When we dwell together in unity, when we as a church body are dwelling together with a focus on God's kingdom and his righteousness, and it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Listen to Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, coming down from the beard, upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edge of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, coming down upon the mountain of Zion, for there the Lord commands the blessing, life forevermore. When we have the right relationship with each other, there's an anointing that comes in that, that God commands that anointing to be upon you. You can't buy it. You can't copy what somebody else's church is doing. You can't copy another program. You can't copy their music. You can't copy, this is how they're doing, so we're going to do it that way. You can't copy an anointing. It's either there or it isn't. But when the church gets together in unity and they're focused on one thing. The pastoral leadership, the board, the deacons, the elders, and they're all focused and all the different department heads are focused on one thing. And it's not about, well, you know, I'm, I'm important because I'm in charge of this or I'm in charge of that or I'm in charge of this. No, it's when we come together and we're all in unity. That doesn't mean we have to have, uh, we're all like-minded, exactly the same mind about everything. We're going to have our differences but we're in unified when it comes to what are, we got, what are we about? What is Calvary Church really about? And when you say, Jesus, I'm about your kingdom. I'm about winning souls for Christ. I'm about upsetting the apple cart. I'm about pushing back the gates of hell. When you say, I'm about your stuff, Jesus, oh, we get his ear. And he goes, did you hear that? I'm going to command an anointing upon that church. I'm going to command the blessing to flow into that church. I think that's what's going to take place here. I really do. I think God's doing that in us. But make no mistake about it. You have to seek his kingdom and his righteousness, not our kingdom. See, that's what causes division amongst us when we're seeking our own kingdom. Well, I'm the pastor, and I said so, that's why. Well, because I give more money to the church than anybody else does. I said this is what we need to do, that's why we're going to do it. Well, really. We can't be, we can't have the anointing, we can't have the blessing 
commanded blessing of God. Think of this. We don't have to beg for a blessing. It's commanded to us. Can you imagine what would happen if God commanded the blessing of commanding the blessing to be upon you and upon your house, upon your church, and upon all that you do? I'm going to command a blessing for you. I don't know about you, but I like the Lord's blessing in my life. So as we sing this song and think about this, and I, I thought we were going to be out of here at 11 today. And it's just such a short message. Main question, have you been ignoring your check oil light? And sometimes it doesn't come on. Is there a check oil engine light? Check engine oil light. It's okay. Is your check oil light on <laughs> and you've been maybe ignoring it? Oh, there you go. Sometimes they don't come on right away. It, you know, you can't. You can ignore it. You can just say, well, you know, I don't know if I need that or not. I don't know if I need more of the Holy Spirit or not. I don't know if I need to be refilled or not. Well, are you a forgiver of people? You got things hidden in your heart. You got some besetting sin that you keep struggling over and you can't quite shake. Eh, you need some oil. Is your witness to your family and your community, is it what it needs to be? Or are you compromising a little bit with, you know, maybe there's some things inside that just aren't clean and those things come out once in a while. You say, Lord, as we sing this song, maybe your prayer needs to be, God, would you help me to trim my wick? I have oil, but God, I'm a little smoky and not quite clear in what I believe. Would you... Uh, would you help me? And then God, please, make me a vessel of honor and fill me with oil. Do whatever you got to do in my life, but God, fill me with oil. I've got to have your anointing.